Welcome back to The Craft. I'm Colby and I'm here with my friend Carter. And today we are talking about monotasking. Exactly. So have you ever felt like you're doing five or six things at the same time? The idea of monotasking is about uh, clearing the table and focusing on one thing at a time. Uh, And so this is something I've been thinking about in the last couple of weeks, uh, and I'm really excited to talk about it tonight. Uh, But maybe we'll just start, Colby, with setting up the problem. What do you think the problem is that monotasking is trying to solve? Maybe we can start there before we get yeah. to uh, any idea of, of a solution or even what does monotasking look like in practice? Yeah, I feel like the, I mean, the problem is definitely multitasking or pet rapid task switching, whatever you're going to call it. And just distractions. I think it's so easy to, to be spending my time working on like moving in five directions at the same time and really not moving anywhere. Um, And I think, you know, originally the monotasking term came from the podcast episode, an episode of Art of Manliness podcast with Thatcher Wine. I just looked it up to remember his name. Um, And he kind of talks about, he's got a book where he talks about the 12 monotasks and these 12 different activities in daily life that you can get so much more meaning and enjoyment out of if you, uh, you know, solely focus on that task and don't do anything else. But yeah, I think the problem really is just the multitasking culture that we live in. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think too, I find that distinction between like multitasking and problem or task switching helpful Yeah, because it seems as if there's a fair amount of psychological research that says that you don't really ever multitask. I think that's probably a fair generalization. Most of the time you're switching between tasks. I know for like for me that seems to be the case. Like yeah. Even just I think I'm huge speculation alert. We need like a like a red light spinning, but um I mean I've encountered people talking about how when they even track people's like attention and like if you get a text it takes like 50, 60 seconds for you to like reorientate yourself back to whatever you were doing. Or like Mm -hmm. if you get an email and then you get back to writing, like it can take 20 minutes to get back to where you were, like in your own headspace. You may not notice that, um, but it's it's those changes between tasks that I think become those issues. Because multitasking, I think, I think we could be kind of generality here, is oftentimes just trying to task switch. Yeah. Yeah, I've also heard that like 20 minutes number or something similar like so I think I've I've heard that show up several times like it takes 20 minutes to get back on track whenever you get distracted, someone taps you on the shoulder at work or sends you a slack or whatever it is. Um and so yeah, and this kind of plays into like there's the book Deep Work by Cal Newport that talks about, you know, getting into that focus work and that groove. And I feel like another really popular term and idea floating around has been, um, oh, what's it called where you're, oh, flow state, you know, the getting the idea of it's talked about all the time with creativity, getting into your flow state, getting focused, but, um, you know, multitasking kind of goes against that in a way. So. Yeah. To jump off of the kind of maybe move from, okay. So the problem is that we're, we're doing, we're switching back and forth too much. So for me, I totally get that. And that's why I think this idea of monotasking has been really helpful because I'm 
on a work day. And because I've got a bunch of different kind of irons in the fire, like we all have that. Uh, but I feel like kind of as a graduate student where I'm kind of teaching and taking classes and mm-hmm. working to get the dissertation committee together, it just feels like I'm kind of getting pulled in a lot of different directions. And so the yeah. tendency is for me to like move from, okay, do a little bit of grading, do a little bit of email, do a little bit of writing, go yeah. back to doing some reading. And then all of a sudden, like I'm not making a lot of progress. Uh, and you mm-hmm. had mentioned something, maybe walk us through the idea of the, what was the wheel with the arrows coming out of it? I thought this oh, was really yeah, helpful. Yeah. So I think that this comes from the book Essentialism by Greg McEwen, but I've, yeah, I think so. We'll go with that. Um, and essentially there's a diagram that he has in that book where there's like a circle with, you know, arrows pointed in five or six different directions. Like picture short arrows. Um, this might be a slight modification, but essentially that works to explain it. There's five or six arrows pointing on one circle. And then the second circle, you have a single arrow pointing in one direction and it's a longer arrow, right? So it's kind of this representation of your energy, your focus, and the idea that you can either spend all your energy and focus in five directions and take one step in each of those different directions, or you can take five or six steps forward in a singular direction by focusing. And so I think that that, yeah, that definitely ties directly into what we're talking about here because um, there's just a lot of power in saying, I'm not going to work on any of these other things for a couple hours, but I'm going to um, take five or six big steps forward on one project, even if that kind of hurts me in these other areas for a bit. Yeah. Why is that hard? I wonder. (laughs) <laughs> like it's well, like it makes total sense to me, but like I don't know why I'm always like pulled between tasks because I, I think, mean I think I'm, I'm I think other people kind of feel that stress too. I mean, it sounds for you like it's very schedule related and like your situ your situation at work and balancing multiple things comes into play because I think I think there's some real questions that like to ask about is monotasking possible? Is it worth it? Because it's not obviously it's not simple because we hardly do it. You know what I mean. And also, there's kind of the legitimate question too that I've got, I want to get to later, which is like I was talking to someone about earlier. It's like, you know, it's not bad to listen to a podcast and work out, or you know, do it's easy to do something like mental along with something physical. You know, like listening to music while you're doing dishes or calling someone while you're doing a chore is pretty easy, but at the same time, there's a lot of things where if you try to group them together, you're really not being productive and you're not multitasking. You're really just switching tasks. Sorry, that was a rant, but I feel like I feel like there's just some good questions to ask because it's yeah, it's really hard to do monotasking. It's hard to get into that deep workflow. Yeah, I I, I really like this. Um, I guess one of the things that, and I like that you brought our attention here. What was the uh, monotasking? author that was on Ari Melanist. What was his name? I'm uh, in here. Thatcher one. Exactly. Yeah. So he was talking about like, like when you walk, don't even listen to a podcast, right? It was like right. monotasking. I mean, like when you're walking, you're walking. When you're doing laundry, you're doing laundry. Like that kind of idea. Now, all this other stuff he was talking about as well, but I think it's interesting. Like I have no trouble folding laundry and listening to a podcast. You know, I don't think I'm really missing out on anything. But I do have a problem going back and forth from my email 
to the work that I'm doing, mm-hmm. to the thing that ne- needs to get done next week, right? And right. this this might be, yeah, I and mean, I think there's some schedule things, but I really like the question that's, if we actually took those five steps in that one direction instead of spreading those out, could we orientate things so that we took five steps you know, along this axis and then the next day we did five steps along the other one mm-hmm. and get done in one week what we would get done spreading it out? Like, I wonder about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, the challenge is, it seems like one of the best ways to do monotasking is with like batching similar tasks together. You know, like if you have, we've talked about, we'll probably talk about it later, like emails or, I mean, obviously the classic examples, like you don't do, you don't wash a pair of socks every time they're dirty. You like put them in a laundry basket. And then once it reaches like a critical mass, then it's like, okay, time to go do laundry. But Critical mass. <laughs> who says that? About I love laundry? that. Uh, but really like, that's not how we handle like notifications. Like as soon as I get a text, I reply. As soon as I get an email, I reply. And it's like going to wash. It's a little bit different because obviously it takes a lot more energy to wash a pair of clothes than it does to check an email. But, you know, in terms of attention and focus, it is just so easy to constantly immediately respond to things that are not important. And it's a lot harder to dedicate long time, long hours to uh, things that are important. Yeah, I think that's dead on. I think that's dead on because I think that's the main tension that I feel, that tension to respond, like be reactive. And maybe that's a big part of it, moving from reactivity and like trying to address things as they come at us to this idea of batching. I really like that. And because, okay, maybe monotasking is not possible and you can't say, hey, I'm going to spend... I think what Newport talks about deep work, it's like, what, two hours at least on something? Or it's I something think that's big. the number, yeah. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe I can't spend two hours on this, but maybe I cannot react to these things that are coming in and batch that together. I really like batching. I wasn't thinking about that. I think that's really helpful. And so maybe applying that to something that you were talking about earlier um, in a previous conversation about how you're organizing your email now or kind of doing email. Walk us through that. I think that that was really helpful because I think it's a practical example of something that I'm trying to be more mindful of now, now that you've kind of brought that to uh, my attention. Yeah. So for the last maybe month or so at work, um, I have basically kind of told the team, like I'm working, I'm going to be checking my email, checking my Slack at this time in the morning, this time in the afternoon. It's like 1130 in the morning, 330 in the afternoon. If you, you know, need me outside of that, here's my phone number. So you can call me if it's urgent. Um, and I kind of just did that based on the advice I read in four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And it's something he implemented for himself. And I'd seen one of my bosses do. So I was like, okay, I'll try this out. And I definitely don't follow it to a T like so many days I'll get a reminder at 3.30 to check my email and I'm just tied up with something else, so I don't. But loosely speaking, um, I'm trying to spend less time jumping in email. Like I've fallen off from that the last few days for sure, but generally it's been a really helpful way for me to close down Slack completely so that as soon as I get a message, I don't even notice it until uh, you know two or three hours later and I can really just stay on track with like, this is the number one thing I want to get done today at work. Yeah, that's that's so helpful. 
I feel like email is, I don't know how to like equate with what to equate it with in the past. I don't know, water cooler conversations. Like I, but it's like, I don't know. The idea of email to me is really interesting. And so we were reading a, um, a theorist, Harmut Rosa, and his book, Acceleration and Alienation. It might be the other way around. But anyway, one of the things that he talks about is how society's speeding up. And so the, one of the examples is that, okay, we used to send just mail, snail mail. It would take a couple of days. Email comes around and promises, hey, that task that took you two days to do, guess what? We can do that instantaneously. Like, isn't that going to save so much time? And so what Rosa says is, no, it didn't save any time at all. Like it actually made the problem worse. So we thought that this email was going to save time for us. Okay, we don't have to do all these steps to communicate. But what it's done is created more occasions and like more instances where you have a responsibility to respond. And so part of Rosa's point was that this acceleration that we thought was going to free up time for us has actually made like made it it's taken away time. That's a really kind mm-hmm. of crude way to put it, but yeah, it's basically we thought that this kind of technology was going to help us give us more time, but actually it's created this system where we're always responding and we're expected to respond. And emails got everything from questions that don't need to get answered right away to stuff that's time sensitive and like it's all yeah. in there and I don't know. Email is a really interesting thing. And I guess because in academia, everything pretty much happens by email. Hmm. That's one that's on my mind. So I don't, you know, I don't have a Slack with with what we do, but is Slack similar? Like how does email fit into kind of what you're up to? Well, for just for our company, Slack is our main hub of communication and then email is secondary. So we internally, we're like, put it in Slack, 99% 99% of the time and then use email if it's external with someone else. And so it's not as urgent for me. Like Slack is probably the bigger temptation because that's where it's like, oh, did I miss something important? Does someone need me? You know, that kind of thing. Um, that's where that becomes really tempting for me with my work. But yeah, I think that the fear behind turning off notifications or letting things slide for a few hours and getting into some deep work is really for me a lot of the times is kind of just like will something fall through the cracks or will I miss something um or honestly for me it might be more like I'm I'm trying to be more okay with that and sometimes it's more like okay I'm just gonna I know I need to get this done today and hopefully nothing bad happens but it I mean there's people who are I'm not important you know what I mean like uh, there's people who have who are running huge companies and doing or organizations and like if they're not available like it's a bigger deal but even they are able to turn their phones off sometimes and so that's kind of like a reminder that's a good point. like for example like Yvonne Chenard the founder of Patagonia I'm pretty I read in his book uh it's called let my people go surfing he he talks about how he goes off like off the clock off the grid for I don't know half the year or 3 months or more and he he basically says, "Don't call me if the factory's burning down. What am I going to do about it?" <laughs> and so he's like, <laughs> "I just don't even need to know." Like it, hearing someone like that who's running a probably billion dollar company, you know, like I don't nothing really that bad's going to happen if I don't get back to someone's Slack. That's a great point. Just what are the time 
constraints that we're placing on ourselves artificially. I think that's a great point, especially with email. So that's something that I'm that's something I'm trying to be a little more mindful. Trying to do this batching, trying not to kind of haphazardly like that's how I've kind of approached it. Okay, if I got a spare second, I'll respond to this student's email. Instead of being like, no, I'm not doing that right now. I'm working on this. I'll get to email later and it'll be fine. And it's so, not really like a like, oh, I have to check it. It's just, oh, I'll check my email. I see that little notification. I have an email. What is the email? Yeah. Is it something exciting? All the right. sort of things, you know, kind of uh, pile on to, it could be something I need to respond to, or it could be something interesting, or what is it? like? Yeah. So what are the tasks for you that you want to, uh, well, two questions. One, where do you currently multitask the most? And then what are the tasks that you want to monotask on? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I think right now, practically, the thing I'm working on is becoming better at shutting off notifications of all kinds. So like when I'm writing on, working on, let's say, an assignment I'm writing myself, I have to kind of turn off the notifications on my Mac because they'll just ping. Right? That, that message was, bar will just ping and your eyes just move up to it. And even if I'd say, even if I don't go and respond, which a lot of times I'll just not respond to things, mm-hmm. I don't feel like this compulsion to respond. Even then, it's still like interrupting. Yeah, like my brain is gone somewhere else. So I'm really trying to say less email. I think this next week I'm going to try to Colby Shim this thing and uh, and break down just a couple of approved <laughs> approved times that I can check my email and try to respond because I think that'll really work. So I think my main thing is getting spread a little thin with the things that really don't have big importance but are timely. So if we if we go back to that kind of Eisenhower matrix, which is something we've talked about a lot, there are some of those things that are unimportant but are kind of timely. I can't remember which box that is. I feel like those are the things that get in my way a lot. Mm-hmm. They're not that not important, important, but urgent. But there are exactly. How do I manage those and batch those? That's one of the, the big things for me. Yeah. The uh, that's a that's definitely helpful framework to think through those decisions. I think uh, I'm trying to think of where I want to take this next. There's a I, there's just a lot to talk about with it related to. I think we should bring it into creativity. Like, how does this fit into writing, music, creative habits, and not just kind of a general conversation about work? You know, um, what what are some of those things for you where you're like, I really want to monotask in this discipline. I'm guessing it's writing for you. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the one that's the most sensitive to monotasking. Reading is as well. It's mm-hmm. difficult to really engage with reading something if you're only going to read for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. The difference between reading something for 45 minutes and 15 is really, really different. So I think... Why is that? Good question. Because there's this kind of phenomenon in reading where almost like a horse with blinders, your attention gets pulled in. And so this is kind of how I conceptualize it. When I'm reading something, right, I'm stepping into someone else's thoughts and my attention is getting pulled into their thoughts. And 
oftentimes, the longer that you can stay without something breaking into your attention, kind of getting pulled into it and, and pulling your attention back out, right, the further you're going to be able to get into that book, whatever you're reading. And so if I'm trying to read in 15 minutes, right, my attention is still all over the place and I'm trying to, okay, focus, focus, focus. If you can kind of set a little bit longer time, in my experience, the reading itself changes because all of a sudden, instead of having 65% of your attention, and again, it's like, okay, you're paying attention because you're reading it. But I'm kind of getting trying to get at something a little bit deeper than that. Um, maybe only 65% of your cognition is actually engaged with it. And I think the longer that you can stay with a reading, hmm. right, you're building a relationship with it because you're building on ideas as the novel or the book builds, right? You're involved with the task. You're not just jumping in and jumping out. You're seeing things come together. And then also you're moving up more and more percentage of your attention, I think, in my experience, is getting drawn into the reading. And so for me, if I can take 45 minutes and really start seeing ideas come together, giving it time, I get pulled in. And, and we say this colloquially, right? We get pulled, oh, I got pulled into that reading. I, I really got pulled in, right? Getting pulled into a reading doesn't happen in 10 minutes. It's something that takes a little bit of time. And so for reading, that's that's kind of my answer to that. What do you think? Does that sound like That's, something that I mean, is resonates with you? Yeah, it sounds pretty similar to at least what I remember deep work being about. The idea that you need a couple hours of work in order to really, or at least a chunk of time, even if it's one hour, um, where you really can go from like, okay, I'm thinking about this now, but I'm still thinking about breakfast or this conversation from earlier to getting to a focused state where you're really only thinking about what's in front of you and you're invested in it and you're making connections to other things and your mind is very in present in the moment. It kind of just mindful of what's in front of you only. So that's, that's kind of what it reminded me of. I think that makes sense. So to and, kick it back your way. Um, yeah. What are you thinking about? What are those tasks that you find that could really benefit in the creative life from monotasking. Hmm. Or maybe the things that are tough yeah. to monotask on. Well, I mean, I'd say just in general, I resonate with the struggle of it lately because at work I've been feeling like, oh, I need to do that. Oh yeah, I need to respond to that. Oh yeah, I need to plan that. And so I've been a bit reactive lately and feeling just a little overwhelmed because of the things going on. And so that has, I think, led me to it's kind of just where I need this more. I need to say no to distractions and say, okay, that's important tomorrow. It's not important today. And I just need to choose. I think sometimes it's as simple as like picking one thing to work on. Like instead of making a hard decision, like I'm only going to be able to get this done today. Sometimes I basically decide I'm going to fail at getting five things done. You know what I mean? Like, cause I decide that I'm going to piddle on this for a bit and this for the bit and then switch and do that. Um, so I, I just think the struggle of it has been pretty prevalent for me lately. And so it definitely applies to me at work. I think I just need to get better at choosing one thing to work on for the day or for the morning even, and just trying to fixate on that and focus on it, uh, and let everything else fall off that day. And then in terms of creativity, um, yeah, I think 
it'll definitely apply for me in music production in uh making songs sitting down for a session and working on something for significant amount of time turning off the distractions uh some i think even whenever i sit down to work on uh the podcast tonight is a great example because i have a list of things that i want to do improve the cover art um update some things with the description work on the outline for tonight's episode and fix some things uh, from the old episodes that need to be updated. So there's kind of like multiple tasks that I have, but they're not related. So like one of them is like this design thing. One of them is some writing. One of them is technical things on the hosting side. And so one problem I'll have is I'll start task switching between different disciplines, you know, where it's like I'm doing something with design. I'm doing something kind of administrative and then I'm doing something written and I'm not really making much progress uh, in any of them. And so I just think that that's where it applies so well creatively is just choosing to break down. So like in music, that probably would apply where maybe I just need to focus on one instrument or one portion of the song at a time. So there's, there's a time in creativity for making really messy ideas because you're kind of just dreaming. And then there's a time for cleaning those up and revising them. And then there's a time for distributing them and that's the administrative side and all that but it's easy to switch between the creative the revision and the administrative and be bouncing back and forth and you're not you're not in a creative state and you're not really in an administrative state so i think that that's probably the best example i could give is like pretty much any discipline creatively you've got to have different times set aside to do those different buckets of things dude that's so good and that like it engages a bunch of different ideas that are kind of running around my head here about writing too. Mm -hmm. One of the kind of canons of rhetoric that Aristotle talks about is invention, arrangement, memory, delivering style are like the five. But when you were thinking about invention versus arrangement, like those are two different things. Like there's an invention that happens, that creative, and then there's an arrangement. Or when I try to get students to kind of do revisions, you know, you write the draft first, you write a bad draft, then you come back and revise. And when you're revising, right, you kind of go in stages. It's helpful. Okay, I'm thinking about structure. You look at it in structure. Now I'm thinking about transitions. I'm looking at transitions, right? You don't bounce around transitions and structure and syntax and grammar and citations. You can't do it all at the same point because then you just get, you get so frayed. And so I think this totally makes sense. Like, you were talking about like the administration versus the creative. It totally resounds with um, what I'm thinking about within composition or writing that you've even got tasks within tasks that you have to say, okay, I'm working on this. And it really just opens it up because there's something, yeah, I don't know. There's something that just works when you say, I'm going to work on this. Mm -hmm. Our brains work well with that you know, we're just going to do better work. It seems like when we've got a clear goal and maybe that's part of it, right? When you have a right. goal, you can work towards it. But if you've got five goals, you're getting tugged in different directions. Yeah. Oh man, that that's super interesting. I hadn't heard the, the five, what did you call it? The five things from Aristotle? Yeah. So they're the five canons of rhetoric, invention, okay. arrangement, memory, delivery, and style. 
a little bit of a little bit of out of date, but they're still in the uh, contemporary rhetoric textbook for sure. That's super cool. Yeah, I mean that's that is. Yeah, it's just it's so true that you can focus on one task and then you realize that you needed to do something else and then you're down that rabbit hole. It's like it's kind of like being on a Wikipedia page and then you click one link and then you're three pages away from what you were originally looking at. And you're like, what am I doing here? It's like, yeah, I think that that's that's really interesting. Um, well, just I know. Fact, just fact check myself. It's Cicero, not Aristotle. <laughs> Boom! Somebody out there is like, oh, this guy. Uh, you caught it on air though. So I that's caught good. it. I wasn't sure who it was. Th- those are the right. Um, those are the right things, but they're not. They're misattributed. So shout out to you, Cicero. Sorry, Aristotle. How do you think that this topic applies um, in day to day life? What are some things we can take away? I think I'm going to try to work on one instance of batching. I I like the batching idea. So I think I'm going to try to say batching emails. Check them out at the beginning of the day. Make sure nothing's urgent. I'm going to reply before lunch. And then I'll reply at 4.30 when the steam's running out and just need to transition to something that's less like cognitively draining. So I think maybe an application is find something that you think is prompting you to task switch might be a way to phrase it. What's causing you to task switch and can you batch that somehow? That seems really practical to me. Yeah, I think that's good. I think it applies to me too. I mean, I have that email thing already in practice some, but for one, I've kind of fallen off on it a little bit if I'm honest. And also I think there's just areas where I need to keep uh, kind of just collecting enough you co- let the task collect in a list and then come back to them whenever you have enough of those piled up and to uh to actually spend an hour of work on it yeah and maybe setting i don't know setting thresholds i don't know if i'll follow through with this but maybe there's <laughs> if you want to try it at home like setting thresholds for things i won't work on this unless i'm going to spend 40 minutes working on it that could i mean that could be beneficial Sounds like it could be. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I think at least the idea that you you work on something once once there's an it reaches a critical mass, just like the laundry or the so different opinions on the dishes in the sink. That's a that's a debated topic, of course. Do you wait for the dishes to pile? Do you do them immediately? That's a hot topic for sure. But um yeah, I think that that's a, a good idea. Cool. Could you, um, let's go ahead and share the quote of the week. Yeah, all right, so we've got a really good one, I think. I think it's going to inspire some different thoughts, maybe some disagreement here. It's from Herman Melville, author of Moby Dick, Typee, Billy Budd, great American novelist. He says, it is better to fail in originality than succeed in imitation. It's better to fail in originality than succeed in imitation. Kobe, what are you thinking on this? Knee-jerk response, what do you got? So, I mean, you texted me this earlier and I was my knee-jerk response in the moment was, okay, for, I guess first of all, kind of like, how, 
I guess originality has been something that I've felt like isn't attainable a lot of the time in a way. Like I look at the, the old, the proverb, like there's nothing new under the sun and even the ideas in like the modern book, you know, steal like an artist is kind of similar to that. Um, he talks Austin Kleon talks about just how so much of creativity is remixing and taking inspiration from someone else. John Mayer has a quote, I think about how you fail to sound like the artist that you want to sound like, and in doing so you find your own unique sound. So I think a lot about that kind of thing. So hearing a quote where it's like, it's better to fail in originality than succeed in imitation. I'm like, dang, how much of my art is imitation? Would Melville just rip me apart? I don't know. (laughs) That's my gut response. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of where I was thinking too, because that's a conversation we've had a lot about. Yeah. Still like an artist, we're huge Cleon fans or Cleonites or Cleons. I don't <laughs> What is the Star Trek? Cleons? We're not Cleons, but we're Cleons. Yeah. That's such a bad joke. The uh, But yeah, we really like the idea of stealing like an artist. And I feel like there are so many different places that you can find that message about originality being something that's, I don't know, like a unicorn. Like you're really not mm-hmm. going to go out and say, hey, I'm going to do something original. Even like the most avant-garde art is avant-garde because it's reacting to a previous tradition. Like it's embedded in a tradition. Even mm-hmm. in its originality, it's responding to something that's already, you know, it's already situated. It's already contextual. Everything that you do, language itself, right, is not original. It's it's contextual, right? We're using a language that has got a tradition. And so, yeah, I, I think it's easy to, I don't know, it's easy to really disagree. Do you think there's anything helpful? Can we, can we give him any defense? Yeah, I mean, we need, some, we need some positive uh, response to this. I mean, there has to be, there's, def, there's got to be some form of originality we can aspire to in some way. I mean, even just on a basic level, it's like, there's a difference between there's a difference between me copywriting something or stealing something and and uh you know yeah there's a difference between me stealing something and making something on my own and so in the very simplest definition of originality you know i mean i i agree at surface level it's like it's better to really be trying to push something new that you feel is going to advance your craft or your field than to just be so well, so good at imitating that you are indistinguishable from the original art. Maybe that's what I'd say. Like if you, um, but it's just, maybe there's more context missing from the quote, but I feel like I'm so, I'm just kind of like, well, imitation is something that I feel like is a really good way to learn your craft. And it's not where you're supposed to stay forever, but it seems like there's even that idea that we've talked about of like, I if I try to sound like John Bellion in my music, I'll fail to sound like John Bellion, but maybe I'll find out how I sound. You know, that kind of idea has really resonated with me. So maybe it's kind of confirmation bias at work that I just want to like agree with my previous self, you know? No, I, I think it's good. I think one of the things if, to give this maybe some some strength or some graciousness in the reading. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of Cleon's book, he quotes T.S. Eliot, something along the lines of immature poets imitate 
and mature poet steal. So even yeah. the distinction between imitation and stealing might be helpful. Like if you steal something in the sense that Eliot is talking about, like you've somehow made it your own, like you're going to do something with it. You've taken something and you're going to do something with it. And that seems a lot different than imitating. Because I guess when you're imitating, you're doing what the other person's doing. But when you're stealing, you're, you're somehow like taking something and then you're doing something else with it. And so, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I'm reading through Moby Dick right now, actually. Um, and Melville, I mean, he's full of, full of references to, I mean, mythology, um, biblical references all over the place. So he's using a tradition. And so I think he would probably say, of, yeah, of course you're not going to write outside of the context of existing and all the things that are involved in that. Like you're not going to make something that's never been yeah. done before, but you don't want to just, yeah. Maybe we just, maybe it's an uncritical of like, don't just do what everyone else is doing and try to do the exact thing. Do something different with the same tools. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe the stealing imitating yeah. might be helpful. That's no, that's, that's totally helpful. I wish that I'd started reading the quote that way because it's like he's saying, um, with that reading, it's like he's saying it's better to succeed at trying to really make something. I mean, he's, he's just saying it's it's better to be unique than to be faking it or just kind of like trying to sell someone else's work as your own, you know, in which case it's like totally 100% agree because it's better to be and really the nuance we're putting in here is just it's better to be remixing and making something your own and stealing in a way that makes that elevates the original art and says like I'm kind of giving them some um praise isn't the word I'm looking for but yeah I'm I'm giving them a nod um and I'm making my own art too I think that's really what the whole stealing idea goes back to is is just elevating the original art while you're creating something new with it I think Melville would be a fan of the remix I think the remix passes that test of originality. Yeah. I think maybe we were bringing, or at least I guess the kind of knee jerk was imitating equals this idea that we've got with steel like an artist where maybe we could read it like, okay, he's talking about don't be an imitator in a way that you're just doing the same thing. Like there's no remixing happening. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Just kind of just like don't fake, don't fake it and ever, yeah, I think even just tying in the idea of taking creative risks and pushing yourself to grow kind of ties into this. That's cool. I'm glad we actually talked through that in the moment. That's helpful. I read it a little bit differently now. Yeah, that was fun. I thought, uh, yeah, why not? Why not throw this one out? It's got a couple, uh, couple of ideas that we've been bouncing around for a while. Love it, dude. Do you have any uh, final words on monotasking? To I round think that's us all, all I got. I think that's all we got for this one. That's all she wrote. So I guess go out there and pick a task and do it. I want to see you getting your headphones on when you're walking. I want to see that. That. <laughs> no, that was the last thing I was going to say. Is like there, I'm definitely still going to like listen to a podcast while I drive or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I. You know, I have like on my walk into school, done a couple where I just haven't. Like I typically listen to something. Got about almost a mile walk in. And so a lot of times I'll just listen to something. But a couple of mornings I've just not listened to something and just mm-hmm. walked. And that's been really nice. So there, yep. there are, I'm sure there's benefits for it. But yeah, the idea itself is like, hey, 
stop checking your email. <laughs> that's the Every uh, five that's, minutes. That's the tagline for me today. Yes, that's good. All right, man. This has been great. We'll see you guys on the next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. The Craft explores creativity across multiple disciplines and interests. So if you're a writer, music producer, photographer, filmmaker, marketer, designer, illustrator, or composer, or just someone who loves to learn about the creative process, this show is for you. If you like the show, there's two things that you can do to help us out. So first, just subscribe so that you learn when we post new episodes. And second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would love the show. That goes a long way. Word of mouth is the main way that we're going to be able to grow the podcast. So please send it to a friend and uh, that's it. We will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.